Welcome to Charities at Work, a podcast of Catholic Charities USA, the national office for the Catholic Charities Ministry in the United States and its territories. Our podcast focuses on the mission of Catholic Charities, providing service to people in need, advocating for social justice, and inviting all people of goodwill to do the same. Welcome again to Charities at Work. Our topic for this episode is the work of racial justice. And specifically, we're considering the work of Catholic Charities in Baltimore and their efforts in this area. We're going to hear from Greg Marshburn and Kevin Creamer, both, as I say, from Catholic Charities in Baltimore. Greg is the site director of Catholic Charities Safe Streets Violence Interruption Program in the Sandtown, Winchester area of Baltimore. We'll hear from Greg in a separate podcast. With us now is Kevin Creamer, who oversees both the St. Edward's Workforce Development Center and the West Baltimore Parish Pantry Program. Kevin, welcome to Charities at Work. Thank you so much for having me, David. You know, I don't need to tell you, Kevin, about the various tragedies and unrest that Baltimore has experienced. And I imagine with this summer's tragic killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, it may have brought up memories of Freddie Gray's death in your city back in 2015. There's no, there's no question. Um, the reality of it is, and I'll talk a little bit just about the history of St. Edwards and, and sort of how that emerged as a response from Catholic Charities of Baltimore. Uh, to that unrest in 2015, um, but but what's become very clear um, is that you know certainly even that response in, in 2015 uh, is about issues that are much more deeply rooted than just one specific incident. That this is a this is an issue that's ingrained into sort of the fabric of, of how uh, these structures are built, how our society, uh, how American society ha- has sort of developed since its beginning, and so. Um, there's absolutely echoes, and, and the disappointing thing is um, the urgency. I, I think it's encouraging to see that there's an urgency to that response now that that feels more universal. That that the temptation to think of this as oh, this is a Baltimore specific issue, or this is a any city specific issue. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing less of that now, but it's the same core issues that we're seeing response to. You know, these are systemic generational poverty. Um, race-based segregation in cities, uh, which equates to segregation from different opportunities and where those opportunities lie in the city. Um, that, that pattern is one that rings, unfortunately, very true from these, these two expressions uh, of just outrage. And do you think it's just that uh, other people in other communities are starting to catch up with, with people like yourself who've dealt with it for the past uh, five maybe maybe longer years. And, uh, you know, the sad reality is that we need these kind of terrible reminders to get us thinking uh, in, in terms of racial justice again. You know, I, I don't know that I know the answer specifically to, to why now. Um, but what I will say is that there's a great deal uh, that privilege can insulate you from if you choose to lean into it. And so, uh, speaking just for myself and the history of the St. Edwards program, uh, we made a very intentional choice to establish a workforce uh, training program and a vocational training program 
um, to provide automotive technician training uh, in the neighboring uh, West Baltimore neighborhood to uh, adjacent to Sandtown, which is where Greg works and uh, where Freddie Gray grew up. Um, there was a choice to be there to see and to live as a part of that community and to understand those needs up close. Um, we knew coming in that there was a lot we didn't know. Uh, and so our biggest commitment at that stage was uh, being present, that we wanted to create opportunities that were um, both serving the immediacy and that, that that's where sort of our West Baltimore community connections, our, our meals program come in, um, because there is not a consistent access to food in that community. The grocery stores are not present. I mean, you hear the term food desert being thrown around uh, in different cities, uh, and it is one. Uh, and so we recognized that we wanted to both be, you know, teaching people to fish in, in terms of creating job opportunities, but also recognizing that that people who don't have food are very poor fishermen and, and fisherwomen, right? That you need to be fed in order to get after a job, right? And so uh, recognizing that that that's an assumption. I think that uh, or it's very easy to make assumptions about what a community needs if you're not listening. If you're stepping in and just saying, "This is what I see." Um, but listening, knowing is, means engaging the community, being a part of that community, and being accountable to the community, and really asking the questions. And so that engagement you're saying really happened around 2015. Is that, that when was, it all started? For I mean, at least yeah, for St. Edwards. It, it, that, that's when we, had, as a St. Edwards program, I mean, that's when then when we came to be um, through the One Baltimore for Jobs uh, grant through Baltimore City. Um, but I, I think that was our redoubling that focus. We had a presence uh, in West Baltimore in the form of various Head Start locations. We expanded that presence at that same time. Um, the St. Edwards Workforce Center is co-located with the Head Start. So our philosophy there was that we were taking a, a two-generation approach, right? That we were serving the children uh, in the classrooms to prepare them for school, but also right upstairs, parents could come access services, right? Right downstairs, there was uh, a food pantry that we operated every other week. And so, uh, trying to you know wrap your arms around the full family to, to meet all of those needs. Um, so I, I won't say that it started then, but I, I think that was a that was an eye-opening moment for us in terms of recognizing that the depth of, of our presence and what we were called to do was much greater than what it had been. Um, and, and so that's where we are. Yeah. So what are the kind of the thing you said that um, you know you try not to uh, bring your your own um, uh, preconceptions onto the situation. So, what are some of the things that you learned from the community that you're serving? I imagine uh, most of the people in this area are, are African American, or maybe other people of color. Yeah. I, so, the the Greater Rosemont or Mosher, Mosher neighborhood that we're located in um, is by percentage the the highest African American percentage neighborhood in Baltimore City. It's around 96 percent as of 2017. Is the last report done on. Um, and so. I think one of the things you don't realize, one of, one of the goals for us, one of the missions as an employment center for us was providing services that address barriers to employment. So that's, it's a term that gets thrown around in workforce development, but essentially anything that can get in the way of a traditional job search. And so I think one of the things that you come to realize in working more closely with those needs is just how many barriers exist. Uh, and these barriers are by and large, um, racially based, that these are these are institutions. I mean, you talk about institutional racism, those barriers don't just exist in a vacuum, that, that they're thrown up generation by generation by not giving equal access to certain opportunities. So 
um, things like high school diploma, GED, right? Um, things even more fundamental like access to a car. Uh, you may be the most qualified person uh, in the candidate pool, but if you can't get to that job in Towson, which is, again, the question of how close is the nearest employer willing to hire to where you live, right? Are they in your neighborhood or are they somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Things about criminal background, right? I mean, certainly there's a lot of attention now about how disproportionately uh, that issue affects African Americans relative to the rest of the population. Um, but that all of those things uh, don't just operate on their own, but but it's it's typically a web of interconnection, right? It's mm-hmm. um, if you don't have access to a car, uh, you're less likely to finish high school, right? Because how are you getting to school, right? The bus systems are not as reliable as they should be. Uh, uh, and so there's a magnification factor that, that you say, well, you know, from the outside looking in, it's like, well, why don't you get a job? Well, you know, there's a, a long history of obstacles that have been put in the way. Um, some just by neglect, I think not looking in certain neighborhoods to see what can be done for communities. And some intentional. I mean, segregation of neighborhoods, uh, it is not an accident that West Baltimore is a much higher percentage African-American. Um, Baltimore was leaned very hard into segregation. It was one of the first cities, the first city, to formally institutionalize segregation uh, as law. And so um, while that may not be the law any longer, the influence of s- systemic racism, right, is that those systems weren't dismantled. Uh, they just weren't actively perpetuated in the same way. They were left alone, and those, those people were not connected to opportunity. So um, that's how you get there. And so realizing that, yes, we're a workforce center, but that, that means that we're called to do a lot more because each and every one of those barriers uh, is a job question, right? You may not have a car. Uh, well, how are we addressing that, right? We, we do bus token assistance to, to help meet that need. Um, we partner with, with local organizations, um, to do GED and now doing it online, right? Um, so it's a recognition that you need to, you can't compartmentalize these needs, that, that they exist in an in a interconnection, interrelation to one another. And so our response has to be manifold, that we have to answer it across a couple different areas. Looking, looking at your response, um, have you seen uh, many successes? Have you been able to chip away at some of the systemic uh, racism and and some of the other uh, factors that uh, the people in the neighborhood have to, to live with? Uh, it's a tough question to answer. Um, I'll certainly say that it's built into how we approach this work. I mean, one of the things that I think um, I take with me in doing this work is that uh, it would be very easy or, or it's very a dangerous temptation exists, I think, to use workforce development as a tool to perpetuate that system, right? Saying, well, if I get you into this job in Baltimore County, not in the city, not close to where you live, I'm not challenging the structures that made it hard for you to get that job. Uh, I'm not challenging employers to be where you're at, right? All I'm doing is is essentially working you through the system that has made it so hard for you, right? That I'm getting you around those issues without interrogating. So I, I will say, I, I think we've we've taken that head on. I mean, we've tried, uh, and, and I think we've had relative success in terms of in being transparent with employers about, um, who we are and why we're doing this work. And, and that means, uh, that it means interrogating some of those things right now, you know, certainly we've seen COVID magnify, uh, some of those challenges and you can, you know, you can talk about, you can look at 
different CDC disparate outcomes health-wise and hospitalization rate-wise based on race. Um, but asking employers, like making sure that where we're sending folks isn't just a paycheck, but that there's proper safety precautions in there for them. Um, so, I mean, that's work that gets done every day. I, I don't know. It feels a little bit like chipping away at a, a mountain face, I think, in the sense that, you know, do you step back and look and think, you know, I've, I've done it, I've dismantled this. Not, not necessarily. Um, but it, you know, you know, you're working at it because it's much more tiring than just trying to go around the mountain. Um, and that's, that's the way it needs to be done. And we've had great success. I think probably the, the truest hallmark of success is engaging some organizations in Baltimore who are of like mind there. Um, cause it's going to have to be across the board that people agree with this, right? Because systems are in place. There's an inertia to these things, unless you're actively working against them, they persist. And that's what we've seen, right? I, I don't think that, um, 2020, in, in terms of the unrest that's arisen uh, following the death of George Floyd, um, echoes 2015 in the sense that history doesn't dismantle those structures if we don't actively do it. Um, and to the, to the extent to which things fall from the national consciousness, right? I mean, we weren't talking about Freddie Gray in 2017 or 2018 or 2019, right? Um, but Baltimore certainly remembered, and we certainly remembered as, as neighbors of that community uh, where we were at. So, um, so I, I think that's that's the truest answer I can give. There is that it's sure. um, it's it's a daily effort. It's a recommitment every day, and and listening means that you're adapting, right? Certainly, COVID has changed the way we need to be present, um, both by necessity but also by need. Um, that we're being asked to do different things because the need is different. What about the people you're serving? How 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 do you find them? How how is how is their uh, reaction? Uh, how is their response to your presence? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe also the the recent unrest with uh, after George Floyd's killing. I mean, how how do you see them? Are do they have hope? Are they dejected? <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things that needs to be understood, and and there are some organizations again who are doing important work in terms of the mental health aspect and addressing trauma that exists when you are grown up in an environment where you were historically locked out from opportunities, right? That there's, there's a message being sent to you subtly, right? That you are worth less um, because you don't have those opportunities in front of you. You hear about these things, you see people on television maybe, um, but that's not a reality that you wake up and see yourself. And so, I mean, one of the tools uh, that we have to start with, that, that we start all of our work with um, is, uh, motivational interviewing, which is essentially um, skills mining, talking to people and not so much teaching them how to, to talk about themselves, but to, to helping helping people to see the gifts and talents that they're bringing to the table at the outset. There's, there's some work that has to be done at the very outset to help people understand their own worth when they're in, living in an environment where certainly the message is that this is not a community that we care about, right? Not, not us specifically, but the collective we, America, right? And mm-hmm. so... Um, uh, people are ready. Uh, it's it's like you know removing the dimmers from a light. You see this light that's always been there, uh, and people feel like you know yes, uh, there's an opportunity to use this to to be a part of of something to to feel my worth felt. Um, and and I, I think that's probably my most consistent. I mean, um, there there's important mental health and, and trauma care that needs to be a part of that too, because again. Um, growing up in these communities where there isn't access to, to the resources um, that that people deserve um, is traumatic. I mean, you'll hear uh, Greg talk about 
the response that Safe Streets and a little bit of the history behind there, um, but really came out because we, we Bill, uh, our director, uh, in visiting Head Start classrooms, saw the magnitude of gun violence that was affecting Head Start families, that parents and grandparents were being killed in gun violence. And, and you know, that's, that there's, it's, a, it's an expression of a lack of hope, right? When you don't feel like you have any other avenue, um, it's, it's not hateful or anger. It's, it's people trying to make a living in, in a, in an environment where the message is, uh, no. And so we try to be that. Yes. But yes is by, uh, an overwhelming margin. Um, the response we get back, I mean, people are ready for this opportunity. They're ready to, to feel felt. And that's, again, you see the, the magnitude of the uprising in, in across the country in the wake of George Floyd's death. I mean, it's, it's a massive yes to this, this, this dignity needs to be seen. Um, and it's not. And, and so Baltimore, I mean, Baltimore's done a fantastic job. You know, you, you turn on the news and all you hear is the bad things, but, uh, demonstrations here, protests here have been largely youth led, um, almost universally peaceful. Uh, you know, there's always an incident when you have that many people in one place, but, um, that, that, that spirit of light, I, I think, is is the clearest thing that shines through. And I imagine it, it, it's connected to your, like you're saying, helping people to know their worth. It reminds me of something that I think it was Pope Benedict said that uh, one of the things that an organization like Catholic Charities or the church can bring is is love, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and the state, that's not the state's role, you know. Yeah. But Catholic Charities, being part of Catholic Charities, can actually bring love. We're here with you. We're doing this because we love you, because you do have uh, dignity. Do you find that being uh, a leader in the Catholic Charities uh, movement, does that help you in your work? I mean, absolutely. Um, I um, So my background is is systematic theology, and so that's the headier side of, of, of some of the, the ideas. And, and I think the power of those ideas and, and the message is that um, there's inherent worth in in being human being, right? That that, that there's an inherent dignity, um, and to look at the example of Jesus and how that's interpreted, right? Not just as an idea, but as a, a mission, um, means that you are there with those people, that you're celebrating people, right? Jesus was in a lot of places that people in power, right, questioned, um, because it wasn't places that they were used to identifying with humanity, right? That they were using that status to insulate themselves. Um, and, and perpetuating that difference, right? Being you know, a high priest, for example, um, meant that you, uh, it was unclean to be in, in certain communities or do certain things. And that certainly preserved the power of the, the high priests, right? Um, but it also meant that you were perpetuating that system. So I think, I mean, there's a beautiful synergy of both the, the message of dignity, but also what that means for us, what we're called to do because of that. Um, you know, you look at who Jesus was most critical of. It was those who were using that message uh, to preserve and, and isolate rather than to connect. And so um, the point of the message, right, the, the to do uh, or the, the call to action there is to go to, to step away, right, to not interpret that identity as isolating, but rather connecting and then realize who you have to be in community. And that's I mean, being community is a big part of that message. So. 100%. That's something that that I, I uh, certainly, and I, I think it's true to say of the team that I work with as well, comes back to as a motivating factor, right? That that, that example was set very clearly uh, for us. Right. 
you know, if there's someone listening who who's thinking to himself or herself, uh, wow, <laughs> that's an amazing work that Kevin's doing. Uh, and I, I would love to be a part of it, but I feel like it's such a huge problem and it's so huge and it's systemic. And I don't know how, what, what can I as one individual do at my workplace or in my community to kind of work, uh, do the kind of same work for racial justice that you're doing? How would you answer that person? Sure. Um, and that's a great question. Uh, I think hopefully listening to this, if you are listening to this, um, or seeing some of the things that you're seeing on the news, um, has helped open your eyes a little bit just to just the, the magnitude of this issue, right? The, the, and so um, the the dangerous part about privilege, right, is that it, it isolates sort of by nature, right? You're, you're protected and there's nothing built into that that's going to make you question that. But I hope hearing some of these things, you know, this, again, using a biblical uh, image, the scales fall from the eyes a little bit, um, that, that an unknowing now is a concerted unknowing, right? If you choose not to see this now, it's because you've chosen that, not because you didn't know. So the best advice I can give there is um, volunteer for an organization that you might not have otherwise volunteered for, right? You, you're not, you're now responsible for what you choose not to see. So th- this is an issue that exists, you know, across this country, certainly. Um, and it's okay not to realize the depth of it because again, privilege is isolating, right? If, if that's something that you've grown up in, um, you wouldn't know about it otherwise, but, but this is an opportunity to get to know about it. So, I, I mean, Talk to people you trust. I mean, your local Catholic Charities uh, is certainly doing this work across the country. And so engage an organization like that, and not necessarily Catholic Charities, but certainly I can speak to Catholic Charities as someone who lives and breathes Catholic Charities. Um, <laughs> but start start to less, to be there first. Uh, that That's that's the call, right? There's a, there's a number of different ways. I spoke about all the barriers. You can start to dismantle some of those things in a number of different ways, right? Um, we work with volunteer lawyers who help with background expungements. Um, we've worked with different people on the transportation side. I mean, there's a number of different avenues to volunteering and help being a part of um, undoing some of this concerted unknowing, right? So um, get involved. It would be my first step. And then once you see, and it's listen to the community, and then you can decide what what you're called to be in that situation, right? It's going to vary depending on where you're at. Um, but take advantage of those resources and step out of yourself. That, that would be, I think, my, my best. Because there was a lot we really knew when we stepped into St. Edwards uh, and, and the Mosier community that there was a lot we didn't know. Uh, and that was the first step. That's all we needed to do to make that decision. And then from there, we've learned a lot, right? We've learned far more than we've given, I, I think. Um, but we had to admit that we didn't know and be willing to be there and be wrong and listen um, and receive you know, the feelings about us not having been there before before we were able to be there more meaningfully. So all of that is part of the process. And, you know, that means stripping yourself of a little bit of ego, right? And being willing to be in a space that you haven't been before. Um, But that's the only way that it changes. We've been talking with uh, Kevin Creamer from Catholic Charities of Baltimore about uh, his work in the area of racial justice and specifically how he's doing that with the workforce development and the food pantry program. Kevin, we really appreciate you being with us today and talking about your work, and we, we wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. No, truly a privilege to be here. We hope you've been inspired by our podcast. We ask that you pray for us and the people we serve and consider joining our mission as a volunteer or as a donor. For more information on your local Catholic Charities Agency and the national office, be sure to visit our website at catholiccharitiesusa.org.